Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, the tips and tricks you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Continuing our series on world building today, we're actually going to be talking much more detail on populace and populating your world, the people that live there and how they can influence how you tell your story and present it to the players. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me in the studio is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath and semi-professional DM and Ed. Okay, so. Godzilla has stopped wrecking my town. He is gone. I'm not sure where he is, but he's not there anymore. I'm trying to rebuild, so I taxed my people, and now they're all freaking rioting. This game sucks. All right, then. So let's talk about the populace. The peasants are revolting. Mandatory bath. <laughs> I was going to say, yes, they are revolting. Yes. <laughs> all right. They so, too. so this ties in with our last episode. That's why nobles always had their nose up. This ties in with our last episode where we were talking about cities, towns, and villages and architecture of it. But this also ties in with our earlier episode regarding cosmology and population. Mm -hmm. We wanted to go a little more detail into population and what makes up those towns, you know, the masses, the unwashed masses of NPCs that serve as a backdrop to your player's adventure and you know the differences that changes in that in that structure and that demographic can make to change your game um so when we were talking a little bit about the difference in different cities towns and villages we did bring up uh that there's going to be a difference in what type of people live there you know is it a single race is it a mixed race is it was it built by one race but now it's another race is dominant there and some of the differences um here and this was something that you know you Came up with a lot of good examples on when we were talking about earlier, Ed. So if you want to kick off on that one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, so you you can, when you're planning your town or your village or whatnot, uh, one of the things you want to think about is your people. And a, a very good sort of fantasy example of where every city or town was populated by a, basically a single race uh, would be Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, uh, the Shire was all hobbits. Uh, most of the, the human villages were all just humans. Uh, Rivendell uh, was all elves. I mean, uh, and and Mordor was all orcs and trolls and stuff. So I mean, you don't you have those that background there where each because each race is different, they build differently. They they build cities differently. They uh, uh, populate them differently. So of course they're going to sort of stick to that. Now, in most fantasy games, you probably have more of a mix, especially in your larger cities, because you're going to have you're going to want to have your players that are playing half elves that are playing half orcs that are playing, you know, tieflings or dragonborn or whatever. So you want to make sure that if you are incorporating them in your game, there's a few others here and there that you're at least pointing out. But beyond that, you want to think of the population mix. Now, I'm sure some Tolkien fanboy will uh, have have comments regarding your statements about oh, Lord yeah. of the Rings earlier. But yeah. Um, Yes, I know that there's uh, multiple uh, uh, styles of uh, of 
the race of man. Some of them are. I'm not going to get into them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Moving, uh, on. yeah moving on. <laughs> the, 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 it was it was a broad overview look at all of that. Um, but yeah, I think also one of the things that's important to think about when you have mixed races, you know, the traditional fantasy where there's multiple, is how do the races think about each other? Exactly. You know, how, how does how does a human think of what's their stereotypical elf? And to an elf, what's the stereotypical human? There are tieflings running around. Don't those have demon blood? Do we really want them here? Are people going to be openly racist against them or are they just going to be biased and just like, yeah, I'm going to buy my newspaper from somebody else. Right. And that's definitely based on the style of game you want to run. If you really want to sort of run a, like a, a more complex or politically charged game, then definitely go into those stereotypes and even racism and and acknowledge the fact that all of the races are very racist. You know, none of the races really like each other that much, even even the ones that are supposedly the good races, you know, they just tolerate each other. Elves tolerate humans and dwarves because of, you know, the sturdiness of dwarves and the fact that they do all the digging, you know, and in humans because but, they're so they're so populous. And, you know, when armies come, you need numbers, you know, and in each race, vice versa, has their own viewpoint on them elves tolerate others because elves are better than others right and since they're better they tolerate the ones that aren't as good as they are but maybe you want to run a simpler game where that sort of thing doesn't come up much and you're not really too worried about it and that's fine you know just say hey everyone basically lives in harmony you might have a, a person here or there who you know if you're different they might call you out on it and maybe be a jerk but for the most part people aren't going to treat you any differently and i think that i think that having the setup where you know people are highly tolerant of other races it's not a big deal allows you to take that easy shortcut to highlighting who the villain is by right. having the villain be the one who oh i want to kill all the gnomes right you know that's a really easy way to say that okay this is the bad guy helps break it down to a nice black and white unless your character doesn't like gnomes and he might be your hero <laughs> or you could be running an all known party. It could be, yeah. Um, so those are definitely things you want to think about. Uh, what the racial tension there is, of course. Uh, in D anD D, it it usually does make it uh, uh, sort of it emphasizes that like tieflings and uh, half orcs and uh, even dragonborn are going to have it harder. Drow, full orcs. Uh, you know, ogres, goblins, those sorts of things, they're going to have it even much harder. Now, these are races that are often at war with the good races. I'm saying that in quotes. Um, one thing I like to do is consider that nobody is good and nobody is evil. They're all just different. And so that, and again, that's more sort of a complex idea, but that, you know, brings that whole ideal onto itself. Maybe orcs are always raiding because they always have to be on the fringes because everyone else doesn't want them in their town. You know, uh, you know, maybe the same for goblins and, 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 and whatnot. Maybe they actually resent them, which is why there's all these uprisings all the time and, and whatnot. Which brings to the nice, you know, moral circle where maybe if they need to do something about the orc raids, then they can stop those by maybe opening up a line of trade. Yeah. And now they don't have to raid anymore because they have these, Great and plentiful meats because the orcs turn out are amazing hunters. Or yeah, or offer a offer a, a border town to them or a, a, a frontier town to them. You know, say okay, well we have this town. There's a very low populace. We want peace with you guys. Do you want a town, a place where you can all stay? You know, or just have the or orc. even a quarter in our in our city or something along those lines. Every rich merchant all of a sudden wants a couple orcs as bodyguards because you need physically intimidating. These are the best guys for the job. Exactly. 
Um, I'm more of one of the, you know, races are all different. Yeah. They, uh, they tend to not get along, uh, as Jerry knows specifically wrath in my world is a very kind of racist world. Humans are dominant. They kind of look down on most other like tieflings aren't very welcomed. Elves are out on, you know, outcasted. Therefore, you know, half elves are kind of scorned, you know, like, you know, as being abominations, you know, similar to, but not as bad as tieflings. Um, but at the same time, they recognize the craftsmanship and, and, and uh, of dwarves. So like, they're very welcome for trading, you know, like we, we like golden gems. Why not? Uh, halflings are kind of like the, uh, what do I refer to? Halflings are kind of like the, just the universal diplomat. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The di- they're kind of the diplomats. Like they just walk between all races and no one cares. Like what is it? What, who, when is a halfling ever offended anybody? You know what I mean? <laughs> they don't go around being all preachy. They go around just wander. Like I like to wander around and stuff. It's cool. Um, but wrath also has a big, uh, section that speaks to how a history can affect that. Because there is Graylin, which has all races, maybe not living in harmony, but tolerating each other because that was the only way for them to survive. True. And they're also geographically the furthest away from the human kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Thunder Oak, where like, you know, where the laws exist, like elves are not allowed in cities, you know, per, you know, Thunder Oak. This is, you know, this is the kingdom's declaration because it was, it wasn't necessarily like that all humans around the entire world got together and were like, elves are stupid. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, it started as a political thing, you know, so like this kingdom kind of banned them. But then you have, like you said, this island that's literally on the other side of the continent and then an island separated. It's kind of like as if California had broken off from America, you know, because of an earthquake, you know, so it's kind of a it's a little isolated and it's, it's again furthest from the capital where there's less influence from the capital so like technically they're under their rule but things are a little bit more slack there you don't have guardsmen or politicians constantly reminding everyone like hey, elves are bad they're not allowed elves are bad they're not allowed so if you see an elf make sure to turn them into your local watch station <laughs> So they're already kind of like in generally a little bit more tolerant. And then, like you said, historically, like there's some pretty bad stuff going on over there right now. So they all kind of banded together and like, you know, all for one, one for all kind of deal. And they've become much more united in, in recent, you know, years, like the last decade or so, you know, you know storyline wise. So, yeah, so history can play a lot into that. I mean, I think that history is really the key to, to the whole racism thing and how things look at, you know, like how, how has history played out in your world? You know, if orcs are always inherently evil in your world and humans are always inherently good, you know, along with elves and there's been no, nothing that's ever changed that, then that's just the way it is. But say some orc came up and, you know, kind of had like a Dritz Duergan kind of thing going on where like this one orc, even though all orcs are kind of bad, like all drow are kind of bad, but this one orc was a really good orc and he did these great and, you know, magnificent things on behalf of humans to help humans out and try to stem the tides between orcs and humans. And there's going to be this historical event and historical person that's going to kind of like can can change things and how people are like, well, not all orcs are bad. Right. Look at so-and-so. <laughs> there was that one guy one time. Yeah. I mean, Dritz Duergan is supposed to be like a one-of-a-kind kind of drow. And everybody, every player or every group of players I've ever played with, there's always some dude that wants to play a Dritz. Yeah. I'm so sick and tired of 
I want to be a drow ranger. Can I be a drow ranger in your party? <laughs> no. Drow are bad. <laughs> it was a one-off. <laughs> the uh, the Goblins webcomic by Terrell Hunt. Uh, Goblinscomic.com, I believe. Uh, early on in the storyline has an adventuring party of five, and three of them are outcast drow who are trying to <laughs> change the name of their evil race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even even recently, I've had a player go, uh, so can I play a drought? No. Yeah. No, you can't. Not even in an evil game will I let you play drow unless the whole party's drow or you give me a really, really good reason to let you play. I don't even like drow in evil games. Like that's how much because right. <laughs> drow have a tendency to implode your game quickly. <laughs> Actually, my, in my opinion now, I would say that a player can choose to play a drow. However, in their backstory, the other drow will have hunted down and killed them, so they might as well move on to their next character. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's actually an even tender mercy than I give to the people who ask me to play a Kender. It's, it's actually funny, too, that you bring that up, because in w- one of the games I'm playing now, we have a, car- a player who wanted to play a drow. And I thought, okay, now I'm not running the game. So the GM has made sure that there's some racial tension there. You know, the people don't want him in there. Uh, you know, town or in their hotels or anything like that. Right. You know, when he wants to get a place to stay, they're charging him extra or whatnot. But then there's other times too, where we sort of bring him in to like help on a mission and people are like, what are you? I'm a drow. Oh, okay. So there's, there's a little bit of a mix there and it really just depends on your style, what kind of game you want to run. You know, one of the towns we went to, the people had no idea what a drow was, which I, you know, for me, I'm thinking, what are you? I don't know. They're kind of boogeyman. They're kind of yeah, people. Like, everyone's heard of the monster under the bed. <laughs> but that's also fine. It's also fine to have a group so isolated that they don't know that someone's. Yeah, it's true. There's you know, there's bound to be groups out there that are like that. Definitely. What are you? I'm a drow. Oh, I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a drow. Are drow yeah. are good people? Yes. Oh, okay, so, cool. So the different races and the makeup can certainly sort of. Uh, tell what your city or town or village is really made up of or how they work. Larger cities are more likely going to have more, uh, not necessarily more of a mix. Diverse demographic. But it's going to be more diverse yeah, demographic just because there's so many people. Yeah. So many people, go, people going there. Towns might have a few. Villages, probably not so much. You know, you go to a village, it's probably going to just be one race. There might be one or two people kind of hanging out who aren't from that. Now, race is definitely one dimension. And I think yeah. we put a, quite a bit of time into that. Um, but there's other factors that are definitely going to influence this as well. Yeah. Um, so another one that we listed down that we should take into play is the culture of yeah. the area. Um, is this, and some of the examples we have, is it a barbaric? Is it, was it founded on a religious principles? Are they a nomadic people? Is this supposed to be a high culture artsy type? Is this a military town? What type of culture reigns in the area? Because even though your race will come into play, the culture can also affect that in its own ways. Um, you know, in a religious town, you're going to have the devouts and the heretics, and that's going to cause a lot of tension and strife. And then you're also, you might have a more military town where order will be kept at any cost. And it's not so much, you know, race or belief so much as are you causing a problem or not? Right. Uh, yeah, definitely. The culture of the town can, or, your location can change everything. Uh, one of the interesting ones, of course, is a, a barbaric culture. Uh, barbarian is interesting because the class sort of tries to be a class, but also be a um, 
uh, a culture for the class. A lot of classes I, started like that, though. I like to I like to sort of divide that. I like to think of barbarian as a class is separate from barbarian as a culture, and and so a, a barbaric culture is going to be very much like you would expect. These are people who are probably raiding a lot, pillaging a lot. You know, they're out in the frontier. You know, they're they they may have some technology, but they're unlikely to have mastery of it. Um, you know. Uh, not that's not always the case, but they're not out there cases. building solar farms. Exactly. They're, they, they're likely to, if they're going to have technology, it's probably because they went and they took something and they found something that was better and worked well. And they brought it back and reverse engineered it, you know? Um, and there's all kinds of examples of these in, in history and in literature, you know, obviously the Vikings would be a sort of very barbarian culture. Now I wouldn't say they're all of the barbarian class. A lot of them are fighter style, but I mean, it's a very barbaric culture. Yeah. Uh, I try to use different terminology when referring to like, as the culture, like, you know, savages or raiders, yes, you know, exactly. stuff like that. You know, I was going to bring that up yeah. as well. Like, like tribal savages, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they, they might just be people who just, you know, live in thatch huts, you know, but they'll, they'll go out there and they'll, they'll mess you up, you know? Um, so maybe your location that you're building is based off of a certain culture. Maybe they are barbaric or maybe they're more military. Maybe they, uh, like in, you know, uh, 300, maybe everyone grows up to be a soldier who, who can grow up to be a soldier, you know? So you go in there, you see a very structured military style population in the town. And even the kids are wearing armor and we has, have shields and have spears. And you're thinking, oh boy, I better not screw up in here. This is bastards will kill me, you know? Um, all kinds of things when you think of your population and the different cultures um, and how they can shape your your town and it's good to flavor them differently too yeah when i think culture like i've again like thinking fantasy and D, which is again where my mentality is most of the time um for these type of you know thought processes and games i tend to start with the race like we had talked about because most of again like this is just my world just my opinion but a lot of those cultures like not all cultures are applicable to all races like i don't think I of you know i'm you're typically not going to see an artsy renaissance-esque kind of uh culture amongst you know bugbear right. <laughs> but that doesn't but mean they couldn't be i was gonna a, say a city. It, it doesn't mean they couldn't be part of a city where that is true like maybe they're the the bodyguard the hired bodyguard or hired help for that sort of thing so again it doesn't so mean they're they wearing c- the puffy shirts yeah yeah exactly so they're not <laughs> necessarily a pirate they're not excluded from that sort of scenario but you don't typically see a a whole you know all bugbear society that is right. falling under that artsy renaissance kind of uh, culture not to say that you couldn't and that would be a very interesting world or a very interesting city seeing these beastmen-esque kind of uh races in these more civilized sort of situations in fact that would actually be kind of an interesting world if you did a role reversal of everything like humans and elves and dwarves were all the savages and orcs and bugbear and goblins were all the high-minded i was was gonna make a uh, comment about how i wanted to see the barbaric tribe of halflings yeah and then i realized they actually did do that in dark sun (sighs) yeah no they did yeah they made them all into to jungle dwelling cannibals and uh, absolutely terrifying (laughs) (laughs) no uh you, you definitely have that flavor and and i i think that's good like so you should have your different cities and regions that have different cultures and you can have different cultures within regions. Uh, a really good example of that would be uh, um, 
Game of Thrones. A really good example of that would be like Game of Thrones. Each of the different uh, countries on that continent seem to have different sort of cultures, or at least visually, their cultures are somewhat different. They carry themselves differently. But even within that land, there's the hill people, you know, uh, above the wall, there's, you know, wildlings, you know, there's all kinds of different cultures there and you can have those there, but that doesn't mean your different races can't be merged into those different cultures, which is like you said. And I sort of, I really like that idea of, okay, so this is what the typical culture looks like. And this is how everyone is merged in there. Now I'm going to take you to that Renaissance style uh, city that I built and show you what dwarves and half orcs and tieflings and whatnot look like in this culture. And it, it might add for some humor or just some really good flavor. Yeah. Well, I mean, even historically you have like those big blends, like, you know, uh, great Britain when it was like occupied partially by like the Romans, but you still had like the Celts and the savages, the barbarians, you know, outside the wall. Um, so, you know, there's there's lots of different situations where, like, not only are there different cultures, but they're also almost on top of each other, clashing with each other. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, creating conflict, whether there's an actual war or just like we have to be weary at all times because you never know when these savages are going to try to come invade Rome again kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's I think the, the, the uh, it all comes down to what you want your world to be. But I think, you know, creating a lot of cultural diversity even within the different races and mixing up the races can be, you know, a lot of fun, you know, having, you know, even if you say, okay, well, in my world, most elves are very high minded. They have, you know, very, you know, they're more of the artsy Renaissance, you know, like, you know, like they typically, they don't necessarily dwell in like brick and mortar kind of cities, but they have these, you know, like large naturally occurring structures, you know, that they built deep in the woods, you know, yeah, that kind of deal. <laughs> or maybe they are more of kind of like what you might think of like modern day cities, but they're just instead of, again, laying brick and stone, they used magic to, you know, to to mold the environment, you know, to, to, to create these massive trees and walkways between them and blah, 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 blah. Right. But also still having, there are still savage elves out there. Like not all elves are the same. Like in Varath, I have that. Like most high elves are literally the high-minded Renaissance-esque kind of elf. But I, in my world, there's lots of sub-races of elves that kind of, you know, define their culture almost like I have quote-unquote wild elves that aren't even, they're like, they're even below, like more on a savage scale than like, you know, you have your wood elves. Okay, they're more like, think your ranger-esque kind of elves. But then you have your wild elves that are more of your barbarian elves. Like they're just your kind of the savage elves that have just chosen to stay like as true to their, you know, their origins as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, they live very primitively, very Native American like, um, you know, there's also snow elves and desert elves, which is kind of more dictate like the region that they live in. They're kind of still on the, you know, the hat kind of sort of a wild elf meets sort of a high elf like they've evolved to adapt to their environment but you look at the high elves to the wild elves and you just see like you know savage to high-minded renaissance kind of thing you know but and still with humans also like in you know in Varath, most humans exist in cities or towns or villages you know they're kind of like well you're atypical town folk kind of human but yet at the same time there are still you know native american-esque barbaric kind of human you know tribesmen out there there is no reason you can't mix it up within the races. There can be a lot of cultural diversity within each race. And you can mix the cultures as well. Right. You can mix like barbaric and religious. And now you have sort of the back, the, the backwoods, backwater, 
you know, religious folk who are very strict on their edicts. Voodoo tribes. Yeah, you're about to see something tribes. truly amazing here, boy. <laughs> yeah, it could be voodoo tribes or it could just be, you know. Summon the spirit of the great animal to protect us on our tr- journey to the yeah. far lands or whatever. Yeah, there's I mean, a number of ways to do it. They could, they could certainly, they could worship the land and that sort of thing, or they could, you know, follow their God and, and or they could, you could, twist that and they could be, you know, sort of evil versions of that. And they're like the, the like dangerous hill people you don't want to go near, you know, um, who are super pious and will, you know, in any, anything that you do, they will try to find a religious offense that you've done so that they can kill you. Nobody expects the hillbilly inquisition. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, there could be the opposite side where they just, again, like, I know it sounds like I'm just reiterating like that you're your typical like barbarian, but they could be completely anti like, you know, like the whole superstitious. Oh, yeah. Oh, no magic. Ooh, kill it. Stab it. Make it go away kind of thing. Yeah, very much. So, um, yeah, when I mean, when I think Native American or barbaric, I think like very much in touch with the land. I typically think like, you know, like druids, you know, like there would be a shaman or a witch doctor or that sort of thing. Like, But that would be. Again, like my atypical thought process, like, you know, like maybe there's one or two druids or witch doctors or whatever you want to shaman, whatever you want to call them. But most of them would be like the equivalent of like barbarian, like class wise. But then like what you're saying, it could be like most of the tribe could be like druids or some sort of initiate like that. You know what I mean? Like where again, or most of them could be the equivalent of of like clerics or uh, acolytes or whatever, where they, they worship this God or they worship nature. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting thing to, th- uh, to see because, again, like my thought process, okay, well, you know, you're a bunch of tribesmen. Most of you are going to be the equivalent of barbarians with like some sort of leader that's either a really powerful barbarian or your shaman. But to see that flipped and turned on its head to see where like this whole tribe is powerful druids. Yeah. Oh, I'm not messing with them. Well, I, mean, I, I suppose <laughs> except, you could do that. Except for the one guy who's a monk. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I suppose you could do that. What I'm really talking about was the the culture of that, though. Right. You know, if you think if you think about, you know, uh, combining, think about the different cultures, you know, th- whatever you can think up, of course, and then think of, are there ways I can combine these, you know, to sort of integrate more than one in this particular town? What does that come up with? Right. You know, so that way that you have even more flavor, which is certainly important. Yeah, and I get I get that you were you were thinking you know purely from a flavor standpoint, and I and I started talking mechanics, but right. it's just one of those things where I'm like, that would be scary. <laughs> sure, no, definitely. I think I think there's also there's another archetype that I just realized that we didn't jot down and or talk about it all even in the pre-show and haven't yet that I think should also be brought up, and that is the high culture scholar scholarly minded intellectual. Um, which I think in fantasy also folds in a lot with the uh, heat into magic and arcane. It's about learning and study. Well, I kind of associated that with Renaissance in my personal opinion. I mean, Renaissance is considered to be like the, the enlightened era, you know, when man started again, like Da Vinci, you know, you know, uh, we we just spent 12 minutes talking about barbarians and 30 (laughs) seconds mentioning that. Oh yeah. Renaissance exists as well. So, okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Not Not every world needs to be a fight for survival. No, yeah, and right. And so definitely you can have the the high knowledge culture where so the way that would change your your people of course would be um everyone sort of knows a little something. Probably everyone has or most of the population can read or a large percentage really. Certainly greater than, you know, uh generations before them. Um 
and they just know things. They're they're better educated. They maybe know more languages, that sort of thing. Also, in a fantasy world, that more people might just be involved in magic. You just might have more magic users because it's as their uh, generations have progressed, they've become more intelligent. Magic has become more of a yeah, they're just a they're more curious. They study, they're more curious. Yeah, yeah, they're they're yearning to learn more and more. So magic, you know, again, in a fantasy world where magic existed, like what better way to try to understand the universe and to understand magic? <laughs> yeah, and one way you can really show that, of course, is you can have. Uh, you know, obviously mages and whatnot, some bards, throw those in there. But, but actually have schools. Yeah, in schools, that sort of thing. But as far as like people that m- people might encounter, you could have like a fighter that's encountered in the city, no matter what role you have him in. And he's an Eldritch Knight. And you just make him that just so that he's a fighter who's casting magic or the, the rogue variant yeah, of the, the arcane uh, trickster, of the, sp- of the arcane trickster, yeah. you know, the same idea. So, okay. So I'm trying to show that these guys are from this Renaissance area where everyone basically knows magic, you know? And so they have that, or maybe you just give someone uh, I, there's a feat that allows you to uh, magic, I think it's magic initiate. initiate. Yeah. One of the better feats gives you a first level spell and a couple cantrips. Yeah. Two cantrips and a first level spell. Yeah. I mean, great. So give, give that to your, Everyone. Give that to your place. Give that to everyone. Just <laughs> everyone that's educated. <laughs> I think we brought that up in an earlier episode where we were talking about doing a world where everybody starts with the magic initiative. Uh, so, and this can also be translated well to uh, if you have a futuristic or science fiction game, you know, or even a modern uh, style game where everyone, you know, everyone is literate. Everyone knows their technology. They know how to use it. You know, so maybe everyone has you know, uh, access to a transporter or can pilot a shuttlecraft or, you know, knows how to use a phaser or those sorts of things. Think of what makes sense for more, uh, you know, in a more educated system. Um, earlier, you actually mentioned on another thing that is one of our points where we're talking about history and transitions, mm-hmm. um, that as DM, or GM, you should keep in mind not only what's going on now, but what's happened in the past. Oh, definitely. So if, because when we were talking about the architecture, we brought up, you know, a village built by one race, but then another race has moved in. Yeah. You know, we also can have these similar where maybe you had a culture that was highly religious, but has now moved on to more of a Renaissance style. So maybe the people who still kind of cling to some of that religion are seen as old backwater or you could have a barbaric tribe that has now become religious and in times of war, they reawaken the old ways and become a force to be reckoned with where they're not so much otherwise, which gives you a lot of, I think, good permutations. Mm-hmm. So you can have these underlying levels and you can have different things going on and different hints being given to your players to really make a, for a richer, more immersive world. Yeah, if you think about how the different cultures interact, you know, how would this culture interact with that one? How would this one interact with this other one? How do they mingle? How do they interact? How can you combine them? How do you make them diverse? If you really start sort of thinking about these things and you're going to come up with a population for your town or village or city that's going to be diverse and maybe there is an overlapping or overarching uh, culture in, in your city, but maybe there's also a bunch of uh, other cultures inside of that. And they're all a little bit different here and there and they all act differently. And you may also have cultural, cultural appropriation going on. Somebody may be from 
culture X and they see what culture Y is doing. They're like, I like that. I think that's better for us. And people start to transition and follow. So you now have people you have uh, maybe dwarves that are acting like elves or something like that. That's just it happens in real life. And we'll just happen to see it there as well. That's exactly true. Um, another thing that we, I think we touched on this in the previous episode was the boom towns. So there's plenty of reasons for boom towns. We got into some physical reasons, but one culture based reason could be uh, perhaps refugees. Uh, you have a bunch of people trying to escape some sort of conflict. Maybe they're the last people of their land or, or whatever, but they were driven out. Fleeing a plague. Yeah. So now your town that you're building, it could be built as a boom town. With not a lot of planning, but there's a lot of people we need uh, to uh, fit in, uh, to fit in, and to support and to address. So, not only does that, how does that affect you structurally, which was the previous episode, but how does that affect the culture? How does that affect your city just based on these people? Is there a different language involved? Uh, you know, uh, uh, I know that some GMs like to give everyone an extra bonus language, but also they give you a list of different human languages. You know, that way. You know, you can make diverse lands that have their different languages. Not every human speaks common, you know, um, which which is going to also wind up subdividing things a bit more. Yeah. Which which also connects in with something that Jared was talking about last episode with uh, with cultures forming their own groups like where he was where he was talking about like chinatown and little italy and stuff like that you're going to have people come into a new land and they're going to go to what's familiar they know this culture they know the people they know the language they're going to integrate with that culture to the extent that they may not connect with the native culture quite as much you know they kind of make their own insular communities within the larger community as a whole yeah, and that's easy to do in fantasy games, uh, even if you don't subdivide humans by different cultures or backgrounds, like, you know, Italian, Chinese, etc. But just with the existing races, like, so say you're, again, still, even even if your world is completely, you know, culturally diverse and there is very little racism going on, you're still going to have that um, innate um, like backgrounded, you know, people are going to want to yeah. coexist and cohabitate with other people. So you're going to have this giant city. You're going to have elf town, dwarf town, halfling town. Yep. You know what I mean? They say they're going to go to dwarven town or little Laurentian. Or- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, call it what you will, but it's going to be a group of elves here, group of dwarves yep. there, group of halflings here. You know, even if tieflings are kind of like okayed in your world, you know, like, so they're accepted. You're in tiefling town. <laughs> I think what you're trying to explain is really tribalism. Yeah. People of a like mind are usually going to right. stick together. You know, yeah. it has nothing to really to do with racism. It's just tribalism. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's not exclusive to race or even culture, but also religion. Right. Exactly. You, you know, know. Uh, people of, of different groups and also to countries, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the dwarves were from a different country. So they, you know, they bring over the influence of another country, right. but they're also refugees. So they're also, you know, a bunch of dwarves mm-hmm. in your city. So now you have the dwarven quarter or whatever you want to call it where they're all kind of chilling out and doing their thing. And everyone speaks dwarven when you get in there and all of their architecture looks a little bit different, you know, and they're all, you know, they're all, they're just, just a flavor of them is, is different than what yeah. you expect. Yeah. Country. I know Jerry loves the idea of a dwarf that uh, has, that is, is from France <laughs> or a French style country. <laughs> Yeah, you know, your countries typically kind of dictate, you know, at least like, you know, based off of, you know, modern day earth, but you're, you know, typically kind of dictate your culture. So, again, that's like where like 
you know, in present day earth, you'd have that subdivision of like, you know, Chinatown, little Italy kind of thing. Right. Exactly. So, you know, you're just taking that and and applying that template to a different, different groups of people in this fantasy setting of different races, or are they from different countries? Do they have, you know, different religious backgrounds, you know, okay, well, we have a lot of Jewish people over here. We have a lot of, you know, Episcopals over here or Catholics over there. Right. You know what I mean? Because they're also going to want to live near their church. You know what I mean? Like, again, because they're also like-minded people. They want to be with people that they can have conversations with and, and not have to worry about explaining themselves every three seconds. Those, uh, those, those dwarves who came over, there might be a small sect of them who, uh, you know, instead of, uh, following Torm or whoever this, uh, you know, or worshipers of, uh, So, you know, okay. So they maybe keep up residence in dwarf town, but then they found, Oh, there's a, you know, a section of town over here where there's like a church and a bunch of people who live around it who are worshippers of Iomade and they end up going over there. So it's sort of yeah. mixing cultures and whatnot. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then you get your melting pot going on even more. So it's really kind of comes down to like what the people, what their values are strongest towards you know are they stronger towards their 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 race or their culture are they stronger towards the religion like okay like you said i'm a dwarf but i feel very strongly towards the religion that i worship so i'm more likely to cohabitate with others of that like mind that worship that same religion that same god than to be with my people quote unquote of dwarves because even though they are like you know my people and they are fellow dwarves we don't see eye to eye on everything. Right. They all believe in a different God or, or, or concept or whatnot. Uh, another, uh, to sort of elaborate on this, of course, we do focus on fantasy games in 5th edition D&D as it's really the most popular. But if you're running a science fiction game, just use aliens instead of the other sort of, uh, in D&D, I guess you'd call them, you know, monstrous races or whatnot. You just use aliens and kind of incorporate the same ideas. Um, fantasy games, you can use the monstrous races for this. Modern games, you can just think different, you know, different areas of the land, you know, just what's going on, you know, today's world and whatnot. You can Mm -hmm. pull from that. Again, different countries, different religious backgrounds. Exactly. Uh, So, yeah, so you definitely want to uh, explore the different cultures, how they can mix, how they can defer, how they can sort of butt heads with each other. And, you know, why maybe that's affecting your city, town, or village when you're building your city, town, or village. Yeah, these are all important principles but um another thing is don't let your head explode over any of this because oh, you can get lost in this you could spend the next 10 years of your life planning out one large city you know trying to get down to the nitty-gritty like the, the tiniest smallest little details um i think these are all extremely important things to have in you know the back of your head but i think at least when you're first glossing over like especially if you're trying to create a whole world at once is to kind of apply a few of these to each town and then when you're actually if you're when and if you're actually role playing in that town then take that extra time and start to to work out the finer details but there's so much depth that you can add to any of this that you could totally get lost in it and your brain you could i could i start thinking about it sometimes in my world and i'm just like oh my god i think my head's gonna explode like i just i just twisted my brain into 15 different circles and i got like this figure eight going on and there's such such a big knot and i think this is also a great time for the application of one of my favorite dm tools and that's if a player comments that they think that oh well that logically probably means that this and this and that then it's perfectly within your rights as a dm to go Yes. Yes. That is exactly how it works. Right. I'm glad you understand what I was trying to do. Right. <laughs> even, even if you just were on making it up on a whim or, or if you just heard it and you're like, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely if you're building from big picture down to little picture, 
Uh, you should take some time to think about the, the different cultures and the different ways it might affect what, what it is you're building. But, you know, if you start little picture and then just move out to the big picture, you can just think, okay, what do I want in this town? You know, maybe you kind of picture it as a eh, somewhat integrated, but mostly human town. And then, you know, you got a, a one player who wants to play a tiefling, another one who wants to play a, a dragonborn, and then, you know, another who's bringing a dwarf into the game. You think, okay, how am I going to make this fit? You know, you don't have to necessarily burn the midnight oil, figuring it out. They can just be there. Or if you really want to say, okay, well, there's some cultures based off of this, then go for it. Yeah. I think the biggest trick is to make sure that you like, as long as you have enough to play, you're fine. You don't have to go 12,000 years back in time in history in order to explain what's going on with the racial diversity in the city right now. I'm not saying don't, I'm saying you don't have to. <laughs> and another good thing to think of too, uh, when, when it comes to this is, if if you're if you're running the same sort of world and campaign, um, like Jared, I know you have Wrath. Uh, sort of like uh, I, I know that you do. Let the different games affect your world, so you can let different cultures affect the different cultures based on how they work in your game, and then maybe bring that into the next game. I and I let players help flush out details on things too. Like I know I have a large map with probably close to without exaggeration, 80 ish cities on the, on the, you know, the map and the map's not finished. You know, that's just one continent technically of the three. And how many of those do you have fully fleshed out? Fully fleshed out like 15%, right, right. <laughs> you know, something like that, yeah. but it allows room for players to add their, their influence to the world, which is always nice. Like, okay, Hey, I'm writing the background for this character. I would like him to be from Witch Creek, like Jerry did. And like, Hey, what are your thoughts on this, this, and this? And Jerry has flushed out a lot of, you know, at least the general current events and, and, and setup of this town that's called Witch Creek. And though we haven't played yet, when we go there, it will be based off of a lot of the ideas that Jerry came up with writing the background for another character, which, so he did a bunch of work for me. You know what I mean? And players love seeing that because they get to see their influence and their, their aspect and their dent on the world. Yeah, when you're doing your world building, definitely your players are some of your, can be some of your best. Teams. Yeah. Cause I mean, after you, after planning out 20 cities, you start to run out of ideas and then players get to bring this fresh, fresh twist in and help, you know, flush out some of this, you know, these, this blank slate. And from the player side, it's really cool as well. Um, we were setting up for another game that's going to be set in Frath, and one of the players asked me, "Is like, can you tell me about this area?" And this was completely out of the blue. He didn't realize it, but it was something that I had done a bunch of the backstory for for Frostwood. So I'm like, "Well, I can tell you quite a bit about what's <laughs> going on in there because you know I helped make it with the approval that's kind of got into the into the world." So that's about where we are going to wrap it up for today, talking about uh, cultures and populace in a little more detail than we had touched on previous episodes. Um, if you have any questions or comments about the topics, definitely feel free to get in touch with us. Any topics you'd like to hear about, get in touch with us. And if you have any real, really cool cultural ideas that have come out in your games, worked out really well, we love to hear about those as well. We, we spend a lot of time talking about games even when we're not recording it, and we'd love to hear what adventures you've had that you'd like to share. 
Uh, you can get in touch with us, of course, on Facebook, like comment and subscribe our page and get notes and information through there. You can support us on patreon.com slash game master studio, get access to our blog, talking about projects that are coming up and maybe get a little preview before everybody else does communicate with us through Twitter at GMS studios. And we do have message boards available for communication at game master We are wrapping it up here for this week, but we'll be back each week with new information, new topics, new discussions, and we will see you the next time that we stop into the studio.